welcome, welcome, welcome. If you are new, welcome. If you've been around for a while, welcome. I, I got to tell you before we dive in, uh, this last week, uh, the Washington, uh, not the Washington, sorry, the Wall Street Journal had an article about uh, pastors leaving uh, the, the ministry. And it had said something that 40% of pastors across the country had strongly considered leaving the ministry. And it talked about the difficulty of pastoral ministry. And I'll be honest, it is difficult and has been difficult these last two years to be a pastor. But I woke up this morning and I thought about the great privilege that I have to stand right here in the presence of my family and friends and to open God's word together and to dive into the scriptures together. And there is no place I would rather be right here right now than with you all in this book. And so I want to say thank you for just being a very loving, supportive, wonderful church. Uh, thank you. Give yourself a hand. Uh, it's, an, it's an honor uh, to be called pastor in this church. Uh, all right, so uh, again, my name is Trevor. It's good to be with you. If you have a Bible, this is where we're going to hang out, right? This is, we get the privilege every single Sunday of opening God's very word. And so we're in the Gospel of John this morning. If you have a Bible, open up to John 15. That's where we're going to hang out. That's the text that we believe God is going to speak powerfully to us today. Some of you are here this morning, you need a word from God today. You need to hear from God. Some of you do not know God, and it is the biggest problem in your life that you do not know God. And so our hope this morning is that you meet God and you hear from God through his very word. I want to thank Austin and Tim for the last two weeks and leading us and walking us through John 14. Austin reminding us that Christ is moving forward to prepare a place for us. Tim last week connecting obedience and love, and I think that was beautiful. And honestly, it was nice to sit underneath their teaching. I did a little bit of traveling, and uh, it's just good to be back in your presence. Good to be back in this beautiful, beautiful weather. Uh, for those of you who don't know, many of you do know this already, we are in the Gospel of John. We're walking through this, this text uh, verse by verse, believing that it will shape us, believing that God wants to speak to us. And we've been doing that on the other side of Christmas as we head towards the Easter season. And in the text we're in right now, John 15, it's sort of a strange text because as we move through this text, the, the timeline for Jesus is in the last 24 hours before he dies. So we're spending weeks um, with him and the disciples reflecting on things he said about 24 hours before his, he, he dies on the cross. And he has washed his disciples' feet in the upper room. He, he has been with them. He has been making promises to them. He is seeking to comfort them and prepare them for this transition that's about to happen. He's told them about the coming of the Holy Spirit, or at least a little bit about the Holy Spirit. And, and they're sort of bewildered, wondering all the while, what does it mean that he says he's going to die? That seems very strange to them. Part of them probably doesn't really fully believe it, certainly doesn't understand it. But he knows where he's headed. He knows what he's about to accomplish. And, and in this particular text this morning, he wants to tell them how to be fruitful. How to be fruitful. I imagine you don't wake up each morning wanting to be fruitless. I imagine you don't want to be useless. You don't want to be a useless human being. I imagine you want your life to mean something. 
And I imagine you want to have the kind of life that people would look back and say, man, that life, that was really, that person really knew how to live. I had the great privilege yesterday of being at the funeral service for a hero of mine, a Christian hero of mine, a man named Don Little who passed away. I got to do his funeral yesterday, and I got to sit around and just think and hear the stories of his life. And I just sat there listening again and again to the ways that these people spoke of this man, and you just knew he knew how to live. He knew how to have a fruitful life. Some of us, if we're honest, we look at our lives and we, we want a fruitful life, but we're not sure how to get it. We struggle. We find it difficulty. I mean, let, let's be honest. Life is hard. Life is hard. And for the disciples, life is about to get harder. They've been walking with Jesus for just over three years now, and he's going to die on a cross. And they're about to experience a whole new scenario. They're going to experience people are not going to like them. People are going to be against them. They're going to be without their teacher and leader. And so they're caught in this between space. And they're wondering, how do I be a fruitful person? How, how do I stay close to Christ? What, what does that look like? And so the text we're looking at is for them this morning. Jesus speaks it to his disciples. But let me be real clear. I hope you have ears to hear. This text is for you. So we're in John 15, and we're going to read the first 17 verses and then spend some time in this text. So again, hopefully you've had a time to find it. It's good to have it in front of you. It's John 15, verses 1 through 17. This is all Jesus. He starts out in verse 1. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You're already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. Verse 7. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. 
My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I call you friends for everything that I learned from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. This is the word of the Lord. There's so much here. 17 verses. A familiar text. Some of you very familiar with this text. I really do hope that you're connected to some sort of community group because it's a great opportunity for you to unpack even more than we're going to do in our time together. Here's what we're going to do in our time together. This whole text is really about what it looks like to be fruitful, how to be fruitful, how to be useful to God for God's glory. And so I'm going to focus on three things as we walk through this text together. First, pruning. Second, remaining. And third, loving. So first we'll talk about pruning, and then remaining, and then loving. First, pruning. Verses 1 through 3, Jesus gives his final I am statement. In the Gospel of John, he's given seven of them. He said, I am the bread of life. Are you spiritually hungry? Jesus says, feast on me. He says, I am the gate of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the light of the world. If you are in darkness, Jesus says, let me be your light. And now he says, I am the true vine. The true vine is a metaphor, but it's more than a metaphor. The vine had significance in Jesus' day. At Herod's temple, there was this giant golden vine that people would add to and make bigger and bigger. Some people say that the, 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 the clusters of fruit on the vine at, the, at Herod's temple were, were taller than a man. And so people had this image of a vine that they would see around because the vine represented Israel, God's people. If you go back to the Old Testament and you look up language about vineyards and vines, what you'll see again and again is God saying to his people Israel, Israel, you're like the vine that I've made. But almost always when God's calling them that, it's to remind them how unfruitful they've been. They failed to love God. They failed to love others. And so here comes Jesus, and in the midst of unfruitful vines, and Jesus says, I am the life-giving vine. I am the true vine. I am the vine you have been waiting for. Now the disciples are waiting for him to leave. And as 
as he's preparing to leave and die on a cross, he looks at them and wants them to know, stay connected to me. Because what the root and the trunk are to trees, Jesus is to life. So the question Jesus has for them and for us is one of attachment. Being a Christian, being a disciple of Jesus, is not about saying, this is who I think Jesus is. That does not make you a Christian. It's about having an attachment to Jesus, having his very life pulsing in us so that we are to be wrapped up in him. He is saying that he is the life-giving vine. If you want spiritual life, you must, you must be attached to Jesus. Now the goal of any vine is fruit. Right, the, the reason you have a vine is because you've got a, a vine, it's got branches connect to it, connected to it, and then those branches bear fruit. We see that with different kinds of vines in the world. And Jesus uses this analogy because what he wants to say to you this morning and me is that what God desires is fruit in your life. The fruit of Christ-likeness. That, that's what God wants for you. For people to be around you, to be near you, and to say, that person, man, they clearly know God. Because they love God and they love others in a way that is unique. That's the fruit of a life that is after Christ. And it is the outcome, this fruit is the outcome of what God wants to do in you. He is the vine, which means that if you're here this morning, you are a branch. Every one of you is a branch. Jesus mentions two kinds of branches in these first three verses. He says that the Father is a gardener who tends to these two kinds of branches. There are fruitless branches and that there are fruitful branches. So if you're here this morning, you are either a fruitful branch or a fruitless branch. I don't have a green thumb. I am guilty of Googling which plants are hardest to kill, purchasing those plants, and killing them. That is totally true. I have killed succulents. Which, you, again, you read, it's like succulents are for the like, easy level people, right? You can't kill a succulent. I have killed succulents. My wife has a green thumb. I, I don't. She grew up, her father is an almond or almond farmer. Very familiar with farming. Very familiar with different kinds of fruit and the process of growing them. So while I don't have a green thumb, I know some basics. One of the basics that I've learned is that if you want to grow fruit, if you want a greater harvest on whatever it is you're growing, you must deal with the dead branches and you must deal with, trim, prune, clean up the branches that are also healthy. If you want to have fruit, there must be pruning. Fruit means pruning. 
That's how we get fruit, pruning and cleaning. Jesus says in verse 3 that his disciples have already been cleansed through the word. When you open your Bible and you're in the words of Jesus, this morning if you have ears to hear, what you'll discover is this text will begin to challenge you. It will cut you. It will adjust your thinking. Every time you're in the Bible, it should be adjusting your thinking about God, about yourself, about life, about good, about bad, about purpose. It should constantly be cutting you and cleaning you so that you will become more fruitful. But it's not just through God's word that we are pruned. We are also pruned through the difficulties that God allows to happen in our lives. And let me remind you, brothers and sisters, pruning isn't painless. If you didn't know anything about plants, and you had a big, beautiful vine, and you saw someone with some scissors headed towards it, you'd be thinking, they're going to destroy that vine. If you saw them then get in there and start hacking away, throwing things to the side, making a mess with all the scraps, you would think to yourself, that looks counterproductive. Pruning might look hurtful and counterproductive, but this seemingly backwards procedure is fruitful for plants, especially in the hands of a good gardener. Listen, some of you need to hear this morning. You need to hear that God is allowing you to be pruned. And that pruning is painful. Some of you are here this morning and your marriage is incredibly difficult. You feel like it's on the rocks. Some of you have some friendships that you feel like are falling apart. Some of you just can't seem to get it right with your kids. You find yourself declaring, Jesus, give me patience. I don't know what to do here. This is a hard season that I'm in. Some of you are in a difficult fight right now in your lives. And, I, and you need to remember, there is purpose in your pruning. There is purpose in your pruning. There is heartache before the harvest. Because pain produces fruit. Some of you need to hear that this morning. You need to be reminded that the pruning season that you're in is, that, is a season that God is cutting away things in your life in order that you might be more fruitful. And you have not even, you're struggling to be thankful for the difficult season. I get it. But I want you to know if you're in the hands of Jesus, you are in the hands of a good gardener. Can I get an amen? There is purpose in your pruning. There's no way out of this. Two kinds of branches. The ones that are dead are cut off and set aside, but the ones that are fruitful, God prunes. Enough with this health and wealth prosperity gospel that suggests that to be a Christian means no difficulty. I'm sorry, it does. But God often works some of those challenges into our lives because he's trying to prune you so that you might be more fruitful. Some of you need to say to God this morning, God, help me to believe that the difficulties that I'm facing, you're going to use to bring about greater fruit in my life. So that's pruning. Secondly, 
remaining. In the entire text, Jesus uses the word remain about 11 times. In verses 4 through 8, he uses it a bunch, right? He, he wants the disciples to know they were made for fruit. But how do they get fruit? That's the question I hope you're asking this morning. All right, all right, I want to be fruitful. How do I get fruit? And the answer is, in this word, remain. Older translations translate it, abide. But we don't really use that in our common language anymore. We don't use the word abiding very often. The, the Greek word is actually the word menen. It's translated differently throughout the Bible. It's translated as abide, translated as stay, translated as dwell, translated as reside, stick with, continue to live. I think the best translation, the, the fullest translation to get to the heart of what Jesus is saying in our context is to make our home in. That's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying to his disciples, make your home in me. Think of the honor that God is saying to you this morning. Make your home in me. Make your home in Jesus and as Jesus makes his home in you. A Christian makes his home in Jesus as Jesus has made his home in them. I love that Jesus is both taking the initiative and also making the invitation. He's saying to the disciples, I'm going to live in you. I'm going to remain in you. You need to remain in me. Because Jesus wants to be our home. Home. Home is that central place. Home is the place where you want to be. Home is the place that you're eager to return. Home is the place where you feel the most comfortable. I was just traveling. I was in Texas just recently. It was wonderful. We stayed at a great Airbnb. It was a lovely time, a lovely space. But after being gone for a little while, I longed to be home, to sleep in my own bed, to be surrounded by the people who know me best. I wanted to be in a space where I could really be myself. Home is a place of safety and security. Home is a place where you want to invite your friends. When, when our home is not a place where we want to do that, we will say things like, my home doesn't feel very homey, or it doesn't feel like a home, because we get the notion that home is to be this place that's at the center of our lives. It's where we're nourished, where we eat our meals most of them anyway, where we get the best rest, where the people who we love the most are. Isn't that what Jesus should be for us? Shouldn't Jesus be our refuge, our security, the, our source of life and strength? Shouldn't he be where our heart is? Shouldn't Jesus be the place where we relax and rest? where we're reminded who we are, where we're reminded who our family is, home. Some of us have vacation homes or we like to travel. We like to stay in hotels or Airbnbs. We do that. We like to go on visits. I know, you know, we like to visit places. Uh, that's, you know, traveling is a common thing. Many of you have done that. You can't wait to travel again. 
you're out there traveling. We love traveling, but when we're out traveling, when we go on that excursion, it represents a change of pace and a change of life, but it's not home. And here's what I want to say to you, and I really want you to hear me here. Jesus cannot be your vacation home. Jesus cannot be a place you visit. Jesus can't be the grocery store. You know that place you have to go once a week to stock up on a pile where you've got to wear a mask and you can't be yourself and you, gotta, you can't wear what you're probably wearing it at the house. You, gotta, you, gotta put on a, you don't want to be made fun of, right? right? Jesus can't be a place that you visit occasionally. He can't be the hotel room. He can't be the coffee shop. Jesus has to be your home. To be a Christian is to say, Jesus is my home, your first place. Jesus, then church on Sunday. Jesus, then community group. Jesus, then your family. Jesus, then your therapy. Jesus, then your job. See, some of you, you live in the world and you visit Jesus. But we, what we must do is be the people who, if we want to be fruitful, if we want to be Christ-like, what we must do is visit many places, but live in Jesus. Amen? I want you to see the heart he has. He says, you want to be fruitful? The key is a real estate question. That's what he's talking about. Where do you recenter? Where do you go first? Where do you find your home? If you want to be useful, the most important condition is a housing decision. It's a real estate question. Where do you live? We make our home in Jesus by responding to his words. We make our home in Jesus by talking honestly with him in prayer. We make our home in Jesus by taking communion together as a family. We make our home in Jesus by encouraging one another to follow Christ. You've got a lot of people in your life who've got a lot of advice. You need Christians who will be the people who encourage you in a world where there is more advice than there is wisdom. To follow Jesus. We make our home in Jesus by gathering together with brothers and sisters. By doing our family devotions around the dinner table. By being obedient. Not just on Sunday. Not just in big things. But in little things and little decisions. And we, we make our home in Jesus by loving one another as Christ loved us. And fruit comes. Fruit is a result of connection to Jesus. Over and over and over again, Jesus makes this point. Fruit is not something you make happen. Fruit is a byproduct of being connected to Jesus. Without Jesus, you can't do anything. Now, some of you are like, I can do all kinds of things without Jesus. Sure, but not anything substantial, not anything eternal, not anything of great spiritual use, because only what is done for Christ, through Christ, ultimately lasts. Fruit comes from roots. Fruit means roots. Fruit means 
that we are connected to Jesus. And connecting to Jesus means answered prayer because we learn to pray for the things that God desires. It means God is glorified. Jesus makes that point. But I want you to see the opposite is true. I can't leave this text. We cannot leave this text without seeing that the opposite is true. No fruits in your life means that you are not rooted in Christ. Jesus is telling them about abiding in him. Do you know what Judas is doing at the exact same moment? He is betraying Jesus. He is the unclean one. Sure, he looks like a disciple. He looks like he's Christian, but he isn't because there is no fruit in his life. 2 Corinthians verse 13, Paul says, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you unless, of course, you fail the test? People should be able to look at your life and say, yep, attached, fruitful. Like I said, I was at this funeral yesterday, and of this great man in my life, uh, Don Little, as a, a friend was giving the eulogy, they said, I've known Don my entire life. In my entire life, he never not once spoke an unkind word about someone. He never not once made a crude joke. And I think a lot of us were sitting there going, well, how am I going to get in? Don's life demonstrated that it was so fruitful that people knew he was attached to Christ. Look, some of you had Christian parents. Some of you were raised Christian. Some of you are here this morning. Maybe you go to a community group. Maybe you're, you're just your whole life you've done the Christian thing. You're here every Sunday. You need to examine yourself because some of you, you may be going through the motions of a Christian life, but you are not attached to Jesus. Jesus is a hobby for you. Christianity is a hobby. Fruitfulness is an infallible mark of the Christian. No fruits, no roots. D.L. Moody once said, if I wanted to find out if a man was a Christian, I would not ask his pastor. I'd ask his wife. If a man doesn't treat his wife right, I don't want to hear him talk about Christianity. Men, would you put your wives down on your resume as a reference of your Christian faith? If not, maybe you aren't abiding in Christ and are not connected to him. Wives, same for you. Could your, the people who know you best, know you closest, would they look at your lives and go, man, there's so much fruit there. So much Christ-likeness there. I don't mean perfection. I just mean that it's the, your life smells like Jesus. And if it doesn't, I've got good news and bad for, news for you. The bad news is you're not connected to Christ. You are not a Christian. And the good news is you can become one, not through your work, but through his. The most important fruit, the most obvious fruit Jesus gets at is Christ-like love. That's verses 9 through 17. Jesus talks about loving, loving. He commands them again to love. 
remaining in His love. Christ redefines love. In other words, as a Christian, you are to love, but you're not to just love the way the world loves. You are to love in a Christ-like way. He is your model and an example for what it means to love. You love the way he loves. I don't care what anybody tells you about what love is. As a Christian, when you want to know what love is, you look at Jesus. You don't look at the paper. You don't look at the news. You don't look at social media. You don't look at what your friends think it is. You don't look at all of the opining that is everywhere all the time. You want to know what love really looks like for you, Christian? You look at Jesus. And his love is sacrificial. He lays down his life. And he doesn't say, keep my commandments and then I'll love you. No. He loves and then we keep his commands. Parents, some of you have said to your kids, do what I say and then I'll love you. No. You need to say, I love you. I love you. Now I need you to listen and obey. That's how God loves us. He loves us before we obey. Pick another religion and what you're going to find is not grace. You're going to find some sort of meritocracy. Christian faith is not a meritocracy. We are saved by grace through faith. We know the love of God, and when we experience the love of God, it transforms us into obedience. And so Jesus says that obedience, the, the love he's calling us into out of his love for us, it leads to joy. Notice that he says that in verse 11. He says, joy is found in following him, in his way, in his love, in his commands. I got to tell you, you got to get this. You got to proclaim this. You got to show this to people. Our world thinks if you follow Jesus, you get less joy. Oh, how wrong they are. Oh, how wrong they are. Our world thinks listening to God means a, a elimination of freedom and it means a, an elimination of joy. Oh, how wrong they are. Look what Jesus says. Following him is the way to experience the joy and love of God. Some of you are, some of you are doing the splits, right? You try to got one foot in the world, one foot in Christ, because this is the proposition. If I follow Jesus, that's going to cost me. It's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. If I live, if I do what I think is best, I'm going to get the joy. Some of you just need to sit down with someone who's been walking with the Lord for 30 years. And what they'll tell you is when they choose Jesus in his way, that's where the joy is found. That's what Jesus promises. So he says, love as I have loved. Watch as I show you what love looks like. It's going to look like him laying his life down for his friends. That is the, the, the picture of God's love for you. What does it look like? Trevor, you say God loves me. What do you mean God loves me? God lays his life down for you. After I'm really obedient, before you're obedient. He lays his life down for you so that you can be forgiven, so that you can be made new, so that he can make his home in you. God wants to make his home in you so that you might make your home in him. It's the greatest picture of love, sacrificial love. And then in verse 14 through 16, he calls them friends. Are we friends of God or servants of God? 
Jesus says, I no longer call you servants. I now call you friends. But then he says this thing about your friends because you, I've shown you, you know me, you know what I'm about. And in addition to that, right, he, he says, uh, and you're obeying me. And what we think is, hold on a second. What kind of friends obey their friends? I want you to think of this picture. I want you to think of the best man and the maid of honor at a wedding. When a groom is looking for his best man, who is he choosing? He's choosing someone who knows him really well, who loves him a lot, who is willing to serve him out of love, out of care, out of joy. When a bride is searching for her maid of honor, who is she choosing? Someone who knows her really well, who loves her really well, and is willing to execute some tasks. If you've ever been a best man or you've ever been a maid of honor, you know with great power comes great responsibility. you got to plan things. you got to execute things. you got to make sure you're serving this person. You know them well. You love them well. I think that's a beautiful picture of what Jesus is saying to his disciples. And it's a beautiful picture of what God wants to say to you. God is saying to you, will you be my best man? Will you be my maid of honor? You know me. You know I love you, you love me. Will you obey me? Will you follow me? Will you serve me out of the depth of your relationship with me? That is the picture. Knowing Christ, being connected to Christ, and then loving the world out of love for Christ with the power of Christ as we're connected to Christ. And you do this not because you manipulated your way into the kingdom. You did this because Jesus says this. Some of you need to be reminded of this text this morning. Jesus says, you didn't choose me. I chose you. If you're a Christian this morning, it's because Jesus first came to you and said, will you be my best man? Will you be my maid of honor? Jesus has chosen you. God has chosen you. He chose you. And he chose you for fruit. He chose you for love. He chose you for relationship. And he knows you thoroughly. And he loves you anyway. He died for you. And desires to be united to you. Where do you make your home? I'll end with this last reflection that I've had once again as I'm coming off of this funeral yesterday. I was in the presence again of this man, Don Little, whom I loved and love. And I was struck as I was thinking about him yesterday. Every time I hugged him, I did, he, was, he was a strange man in this respect. I'd give him a hug, I'd let go a little bit and discover he was still hugging me. So, you know, I'd, I'd kind of hug him again. And then I'd let go as an indicator to him, like, hey, you know what? It's time, time to be done now. And he'd still be hugging me. So I'd kind of hug him again. I'd probably give a squeeze this time. Squeeze, like, this is the end. This is the end, right? And then sometimes the pat, 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 right? All these symbols and signs are like, this is over now, right? And then I'd let go. And then he'd still hug me. And then he'd let go. 
And I thought, I don't think once in our relationship did he stop hugging me first. And I realized, what a picture of God's love. Right? That we embrace God and we find ourselves for a multitude of reasons. Distracted, disobedient, and we sort of let go only to discover that God is still holding us. Because he still loves us. Some of you are here this morning and you are Christians and you want to be fruitful and you're struggling. I want you to know that there is purpose in your pruning. Remain in him. Some of you are here this morning and you think you're Christian but there's no fruit in your life. You probably wouldn't even have the courage to ask people around you if they see fruit because you're too afraid of what they say. This morning, you can get connected to Jesus. He's inviting you to get connected to him through repenting, confessing of your sins, turning from them, turning to him and crying out, saying, Lord, I want to abide in you. Come abide in me. I believe that you died and rose again. I believe that you're Lord and Savior. I believe you're the only vine that has life, the life I need, the spiritual life I'm looking for. There is hope for you this morning. And some of you this morning, you know, you know that you are not a Christian. You know that you need God. I want you to know this morning that God loves you. God is for you. And he invites, him, he invites you to himself this morning. And that you can, this morning, you can leave. We believe, look, we're not just, this is not just gathering together and being in a book. We are here together this morning to meet God. And I don't want you to leave this morning without having met him. So this morning, if you're here and you know you're not a Christian and you know you need God, I want to invite you to meet him and to receive him this morning. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Lord, we desire to be more fruitful Help us to make our home in Jesus. Lord, you, you, you're the initiator. And you're the one who invites. You're the one who chooses. You're the one who knocks on the door of our hearts. Lord, we would never run to you first. You are the pursuing God. And Lord, we turn this morning from our unfruitful ways. Help us to remain in you. Prune us, Lord. Carry us through this difficult season that we might know that there is fruitfulness on the other side of this difficulty. And Lord, I pray for those who are here this morning who are not really Christian, but maybe think they are. Would you give them insight to the fact that, that there are no fruits because there are no roots. And this morning, would you help them to see their desperate need to be rooted in you? Lord, we thank you for the beauty of this text. We thank you that you hear our prayers. We thank you that you are kind to us. We thank that you, you that you forgive us of all of our sin. We thank you that you are good. Help us to make our home in you. It's in your name we pray.